Hi, this is Danielle Krissa from The Jealous Curator, and this is episode 165 of Art for Your Ear. Today's episode is a bit of a throwback to the old way I used to do things. Yep, I am interviewing someone that I don't know, but somebody that I really, really want to know. So here's something you might not know about me. I love TED Talks. <laughs> yeah, if I start watching one, that basically leads me down a rabbit hole and I can lose an entire day. Well, enter today's guest. American artist Phil Hansen did a TED Talk a few years ago, and whoa, his story is so, so, so good. Obviously, I had to get him on the podcast so I could ask all of my nosy questions about his very, very, very good story. Luckily for us, he said, sure. He is insanely prolific, and his materials are far from ordinary. Some involve cookies, other projects involve canned peaches, (laughs) and for one whole series, he just destroyed a bunch of his work. In fact, he's going to create a piece on today's episode and then give chunks of it away at the end. Yeah, I love those crazy creative people. Okay, so because this is an old school episode, I'm just going to jump right in. I actually happen to be in Maui at the moment, but Phil and I recorded this before I left. I, of course, wanted to make sure that you guys had an earful of inspiration, even though I'm on holiday. Ready? Okay, here we go. Calling Phil. Hi, Phil. Hello. (laughs) I feel like, because I've watched your TED Talk a bunch of times, which is so good, and we will get to that in a moment, but now I feel like I know you, but I don't. It's weird how that is. <laughs> yeah, it's so easy to dig into somebody's lives to such an extreme. And then at the same time, yeah, they have no idea that you did that. <laughs> yeah, I know. It's super weird. Um, well, I was going to say for my regular listeners, um, this season has been a bit different because I've just sort of had co-hosts on that I know really well. But this is a throwback to the old season where I would invite on somebody that I did not know at all. And that's you. Well, we like old school. That's always nice. Yeah, and so I thought yeah. I would do this the way that I used to, in which I like to ask artists, you know, like, let's go right back to the beginning. And I want to know um, what you were like as a kid. Were you super creative when you were a kid? Oh, geez. Um, well, I mean, initially, I guess as I, I kind of drew as much as any other kid kind of growing up. But then it was, I mean, my parents told me I had to be in band all the way through school. So, or until I was a sophomore in high school. And that's when I could actually pick what I wanted to do. Oh. And so, yeah, I was, so I was a band kid for a long time. Then when I was, when I could finally pick, of course, you know, I got an art class and I had a friend that I drew it. I think that was kind of the big thing. So he and I, after school, we'd always just hang out and rather than run off and do other stuff as most other people did, we would just sit and draw all the time together, which was, I think that was kind of awesome. Okay. I have two follow-ups. One, what instrument did you play? The trumpets. Nice. Well, that's a good one. I played the clarinet and quit quite quickly. <laughs> they tried to lure me in because I wanted to play saxophone because, you know, it was the 80s. And yeah. they made me play clarinet <laughs> first, so I quit. Anywho. And what did you guys yeah, draw weird. after school? What kind of things? Hey, anything. I mean, it was just lots of, you know, flipping through a magazine, find a picture and, hey, I'm going to draw this. What are you drawing? And then we just sit and listen to music and, and draw and hang out. Oh, that's it was, so it wasn't, cool. Yeah, it was more about the, the I guess, the ultimately the, the togetherness versus how badass does your picture look? And I, and I don't know, maybe even some of that spilled over to, to my life now where, you know, it's much, I, I care so much more about the process and the art versus that end product. Mm-hmm. So and maybe that's the stem of it. Um, well, did you end up going to art school? I did for probably about a quarter and a half. I ultimately finished two quarters before I, I dropped out. Classic. Oh, I love it. How come? 
well, <laughs> you were doing the long story. Yeah, yeah, that's what that's what this podcast is about, baby. Hey, long stories. <laughs> yeah. So, boy, where does it start? So when I, of course, in in high school, I'm going to go back a little bit. Yep, so yep. in high school, you get introduced to all different kinds of arts. That's what Art 101 is all about: introductions. And in those introductions, uh, almost all of us, we kind of find something we take to it. You know, we find that that one style, that one thing, the one medium that we love. And for some reason, for me, that, that became pointillism. So, you know, the big famous picture by Seurat, Sunday Afternoon, Le Grand Jeté. And I just loved the idea of dots. And as as I was kind of working on the first little picture, it was just this little itty-bitty picture of mushrooms, maybe four inches by four inches. And I think that was probably the limit of our, our of our task in, in the class for that day, was just a little tiny picture. And as I was working on that picture, I found that everyone else was just getting so freaking bored of doing these little tiny dots, and it was just tedious and boring. And instantly I was like, okay, I have patience. You know, that's that's something that I think I might have in comparison to my friends. And I just loved sitting doing dots. And so that became the style of art that I kind of kept pursuing in more, you know, high school advanced art classes, kind of kept finding different pointillism pictures I could do. But then the and this is where we end up in the longer story what what ended up happening is as i was doing dots you can imagine that you know when you start to get better at something you you kind of go in different directions and the, the, the direction that i wanted to go was i wanted to go as as detailed as possible and as small as possible so i kept working with smaller and smaller and smaller pens until i was working with a 0. 0.005 millimeter a nice nice little tiny micron oh my god and yeah yeah those pens are <laughs> We all know them. And it's like, is there even, is there even a tip there? Like they're <laughs> super small. And I loved that, that pen, but occasionally, and I had a, a early AM uh, morning art class is my hand would shake and it was just natural, you know, sometimes our hands shake and, you know, maybe from, you know, just different things If we stay up late or if we just had a rough night or whatever, you know, we always oftentimes in our lives will have really nothing that we give much, much attention to. But as I was doing pointillism, trying to get all these dots perfectly placed, that that tremor, of course, was was problematic. And I kept trying to figure out what to do, what to do. And I, I mean, at one point I would like put a sock on on the table and rest my hand on the sock and that would kind of help dampen the movement. But what I ended up doing mostly was I just held the pen really tight mm. and I would hold the pen really tight. That would actually just cover up the shake. It would kind of compensate and make it go away. But then as you imagine, then holding the pen really tight, you know, we've all had hand fatigue. And so that fatigue would actually uh, cause, of course, my arm to get more tired. And so my hand would shake more. And then kind of this process of my hand just progressively getting worse and worse and worse kept happening. And what ultimately kind of came out of it is when I found myself in art school is my hand just shook constantly kind of with everything. And then I would be holding the pen so tight, too, that the, you know, the joints would be getting lots of pain and issues. And I had a little tiny uh, uh, moped that I rode to, to art school, which is kind of classic with my big, my big uh, uh, folder on the back, you know, draped across. And in the Pacific Northwest, outside of Seattle, is not the place you want to be riding a moped year round. <laughs> but, but it was so. So, but the the this tremor and the the kind of pain and joint issues I had was so significant that at one point I was even riding to school. You can imagine the throttle on a moped is on the right hand. Well, I had to reach my left hand across to be able to give the throttle. Oh it my was, god! Yeah, it was too much pain and just that struggle to even you know grip the grip the little handlebars. I hope you didn't and tell so, your mom that. No. <laughs> Mothers no. do not want to hear that. 
Yeah, I was. And, and I was, was in funny. traffic, and I was using my other hand to reach across. No, no, no. They were they were horrified enough that I was riding a moped. They're like, "Do you want a bike?" But it was like this little tiny art school, and it was on this weird little highway that didn't even have any of it, you know, any shoulder at all. And so even you know, I don't know even riding a moped on a, a little tiny highway is a bad idea. But a bike, I thought, would be even worse. But, <laughs> but so yeah, so this 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 story continues, and that what happened is ultimately I ended up dropping out of art school because. The, the tremor got so bad to where, you know, my hand shook, you know, just kind of constantly and was causing all these other issues in the rest of my life. And and then when I dropped out of art school, I was like, OK, well, you know, art school kind of pushed me to create art with all these other kinds of methods. So let me just stick with doing a tiny bit of pointillism every day. And I, I tried to continue still doing a little bit. But then that got down to the point where I was doing like 15 minutes a day was all that I could do before my hand just hurt so bad that I was like, I need ibuprofen. And I'm like, that's wrong. You know, I can't be taking ibuprofen just to be able to draw. Wow. And so, yeah, I kind of hit that weird moment where I just sort of, and I still remember, I, was, I have this picture that's literally still partially done. And I just sort of sat back and looked at it. And I was like, I think, I think this is over. You know, I think that, that dream, that, that idea that, you know, I, I want to be an artist, like that's, that's gone. And it was such a weird, hard moment, but then it was, it was a very real moment where I had to figure out what to do. And the only thing I could do was really just kind of shove it all down, you know, so I took all my stuff off the wall, shoved it all into boxes and just kept going to school and doing other things. And, you know, that's, that, that's a life I had in the past, but that is not something I want to talk about. Wow, that's really so sad. Were you sad? Miserable. Yeah. And it was just like, I, I, I still remember at the time just that, that feeling of like, you know, you wake up in the morning, you're like, oh, what am I going to do today? And I'm thinking about projects and my mind is still trying to go that route. And I'm just like telling my mind to shut up, stop it. You know, I know I don't, I don't want to hear this. You know, I can't do that anymore. And so it was really kind of killing that, 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 I don't know, it may be a little dramatic, but it really did feel like kind of killing that side of me. Oh yeah. I, I don't think that's dramatic at all. I think everybody listening to this right now that, you know, every creative person is probably like, oh, like that's. Yeah, it's heartbreaking when that's just who yeah. you are, you know? Well, and, and I, as, as I've had many other experiences in life, too, I feel like we always have that moment here and there where we just kind of feel like different things are dying. Or, you know, like if we have a, a you know job with a client, you know, with the idea we've pitched, all of a sudden turns into something completely different. Mm -hmm. And we always have to kind of go through that in other forms. And, yeah, but that was, that was, that was definitely the, the worst one I had along the way. And so did you keep going to university, but just in something else? Or what did you end up doing for that? Yeah, time? So, well, I was one of those people that loved college. So I was in college for probably about eight years, uh, <laughs> going to all different kinds of things. Uh, I ended up with two associate degrees, didn't even get the bachelor's. And I ended up focusing in on x-ray because I was like, okay, x-ray will provide me a little, you know, a little bit better uh, income to be a tech. And that was the direction I went. And as I was in school, this is this is where I guess the, the story picks up again. So I was, I think it was really like three to four years that I was away from art. And it would re, it was really gone. Like re, I, I, there was a point where I didn't even think about it. It was just, oh, yeah, I used to make art. And it even you know, kind of reached that point where I was this other, it was this, there was this old life that I had. And I was kind of okay talking about it. And one time, uh, uh, my, my girlfriend at the time, she saw an old like sketchbook that I had and she was flipping through it and she's like, I didn't know you draw. And I'm like, Oh, well, I, I don't, you know, I still hold on to that, but it's, you know, it's a part of my life. And she's like, well, 
can can you draw still? Like you should draw again. And it was literally that little tiny spark where I'm like, huh, yeah, I could I could probably do a little bit. You know, my hand hasn't been too much of a problem. I think in, in school that the place where my hand always kind of show, showed itself was in in chemistry class my friends in in class really got to to know my hand and they would always have me mixing things because my hand would just shake all the time (laughs) over there spilling stuff and they'd be laughing at me and the teacher's like what is going on (laughs) you need to sleep more kid (laughs) yeah yeah and and uh, so anyway, so then my girlfriend kind of nudged me back into it, and I started to draw a little bit, but I of course still had the tremors, and I was like, well, maybe I need to you know go get it checked out, go to the neurologist. And I went in, and it was pretty simple, you know. He put me through some different tests, kind of using my hand in different ways, and they kind of literally they squeeze your arm, you know. There's a lot that they can do without actually putting you into tubes and and you know kind of running chemicals through you to check you out. And came, he just kind of sat back and he's like, well, it's permanent. Oh. Yeah. And I'm like, oh, crap. You know, what is, what, what do I do now? I'm like, okay. But I'm kind of, you know, I'm sitting there, of course, as, as if, if anybody's ever received bad news in a doctor's office, you kind of had that weird moment where you have to kind of absorb it and figure out what to do. And, and then of course the doctor, you know, they're sitting there staring at you and it was this really small moment for the doctor and ultimately kind of huge for me. But he, he literally leaned back in his chair and he's kind of looking at me. And he's like, well, if you're, you're an artist, right? And I'm like, well, I mean, I used to. I, I, I want to be. You know, that's still, I, it's still a dream that's in there. He's like, well, just just, uh, just embrace the shake. And, and I had, yeah, I know, a scoff, right? I uh, no, like, it's so good. It gave me goosebumps. <laughs> Well, but then I had that moment too where I'm like, are you kidding me? Like, <laughs> you know, do, do you just tell everybody like whatever diagnosis? Like, oh, no, no biggie. You know, just embrace it. You know, permanent nerve damage. Well, what's the big deal? Like, and, and so it was kind of like, I sort of looked, I just I had this, I must have had a little bit of a scowl on my face. Like, how about medication, man? Like, yeah. come on. <laughs> There's got to be something. And so I, I left and, you know, was just thinking about this, this, his words, really, that idea. And, and so then I, it was, I mean, it was a few weeks later and I was, so I was still in community college and I had my little apartment. I didn't have a car, so I was on the bus riding home. And I would just kind of stare out the windows thinking about ideas and different things. And his words, you know, as, as, as happens when somebody says a good little phrase or they say something to you, it sticks with you. And there I am. His words are in my head. Embrace the shake. Embrace the shake. And I'm, I'm like, well, what, what would it look like? You know, what would that, what would that mean to embrace the shake? And that's perfect little moment of openness, which, you know, we all got to have those moments where we're kind of ready for the unexpected. And that little moment of openness was was really, I think, what was needed. And I, that day I went home and I had some, you know, kind of these old pieces of poster board that I had. I put them on the wall and I grabbed a pencil and I literally just started to let my hand be kind of more aggressively natural in it shaking. And I, I just started scribbling on the piece of paper. And immediately I was just kind of giggling because it just felt kind of silly and stupid to scribble on a piece of paper. Like, why am I doing this? And, but where it ultimately led to is then I started to, with the scribbles, I was like, well, let me make shade. You know, okay. I can make a darker section. I can make a lighter section. You know, I can do these things. I'm like, well, that's, that's making a picture. Okay. Maybe, maybe I can really do this. 
And so then I did a little more planning and started working out and trying to figure out how to use scribbles to make a picture, which of course, you know, I think the most important part was just go bigger. (laughs) You know, you can make, you just need to be bigger. And so then I went with a pretty good size piece of poster board and started scribbling pictures. And it was just this whole, I felt like that, that, that world that had been closed off just completely just opened up again. I was like, Oh crap, I can, I can make art like, Oh no, what do I do? What do I do? What do I do? Cause you know, you're in that place where it's just this thing that's been shut off in your life for so long, but then here it is opening back up and it's a whole new possibility. It's like, it's like that, that, that first love that gets away from you and then you, you meet again later in life and, and everything's aligning. You're like, Holy crap, this has, this could be amazing. And, and so anyway, so then that kind of became this huge jumping off point. And I mean, I, I, I can, I can keep going, but yeah, keep was, going. <laughs> so, okay. Well, so what happened is as I was making those pictures, then I started to think about, well, okay, you know, I embraced this this thing in my life, this this limitation, right? There was ultimately a very kind of powerful limitation and constraint that had completely pushed me away from art. And I was trying to figure out what in the heck do I do? You know, what do I what do I do with this idea now that I can make art? And so then I that you know really opened me up. I started kind of creating lots of different things and working in different ways. But then the thing I kept coming back to was this idea that that I had literally never experienced in my life that, you know, I, and I'm going to kind of twist for a moment and that almost all of us were kind of told that we, we need more in our lives, you know, and then I think society teaches that, us that pretty darn well. We need more stuff. We need more equipment, more materials. If we're artists, you know, we want uh, almost all of us, we want a little bit more space. We need, you know, the, the newer, newer equipment, the nicer paints, the nicer, you know, mechanisms of creating the art that we want. And yet here I was experiencing kind of the complete opposite, that it was actually this constraint that had pushed me creatively. Mm-hmm. And so rather than have these other tools and things to be more creative, it was kind of the opposite. And I was, I think that was a thing that I was really kind of struggling with. But then I was, I was a poor artist. I, you know, I was going to school. I was working full time and working at, at Rite Aid or, you know, Walgreens equivalent for <laughs> anyone else. And, I didn't have much money. Didn't have a car. I was taking a bus. I even had a stolen bus pass. Like, I mean, <laughs> I was scraping. I was scraping for everybody. I'd, I'd get the, the the five dollar foot long and break it into three meals, you know, from Subway. <laughs> and so, I had, and that was you know where I was starting to realize. I'm like, okay, I have a lot of constraints in my life, a lot of challenges, a lot of limitations, and they've always annoyed me and frustrated me. But I'm like, maybe, and this little things started sparking where I was like, you know, maybe I need to work within those constraints rather than try so hard to think and push outside of them. You know, what can I do with the the tiny amount of money that I have and that kind of thing. And so then that really started to push me to kind of push my boundaries of the materials that I'd work with, uh, uh, creating art in all different kinds of ways. And then of course, working larger scale that also kind of compensated for my hand. And ultimately where that led was I was going through a phase in my life or I guess really a period of my life where I had graduated from college. I had more money. You know, I could kind of finally support my arts and support myself. And this was when this idea of limitations really coalesced into something more meaningful was what happened is, you know, I so here I was. I finally had my bills paid off. College was mostly paid off. I had money in the bank. and I was trying to figure out what to create. 
but I kind of found myself kind of stuck. You know, it was the first time in my life I could support myself, but I didn't know what to make. And were you feeling like, okay, now I've got money. I should buy the really nice stuff and... (laughs) <laughs> Were you starting to go back to that kind of thinking? Yes, and I totally did. You know, yeah. I, I went to the art supply store and kind of purchased everything I'd ever wanted. And it was, you know, if you think it's going to be this grand, glorious moment, like, oh, I can finally breathe. My art can be whatever it wants to be. And there I was just kind of falling flat. And when you're an artist and you need to come up with ideas, falling flat is absolutely the last place that you want to be. Yeah. And, and Well, and I often kind of, say, too, like when the possibilities are endless – it's like, oh, crap, the possibilities are endless. Like, where do I even start? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and so, and so there, there I was, literally with that, that, that question, where do, where do I start? And I was, it was probably about three weeks, because I had recently moved. I moved from Seattle. I live in Minnesota now, so I had moved to Minnesota. And then on top of that, to make it even worse, I actually had moved into my brother's basement, which is never the place that anybody wants to find themselves living in a sibling's <laughs> basement. But it was it was fine. I, mean, I had a little bit more space, but you know, it just wasn't wasn't what I thought would be the highlight in this high point of my life. And so here I was, just kind of feeling drained, feeling sad, kind of depressed. But then, as I you know, I literally on the other side of the room, I had all these art supplies that I purchased. You know, I had some big, nice pile of beautiful golden paints, acrylics, and just all these different things that I purchased. And I was like, but I don't have the ideas. And so I was like, okay, where do, where, where do I start? What do, what do I, and I was trying to shake myself out of it. And unfortunately, the, the idea that came to mind was, was I think initially <laughs> it made me sad too, was I, I looked at all the art supplies and I'm like, maybe I shouldn't have bought all that stuff. You know? <laughs> maybe I shouldn't have, literally, maybe I shouldn't have spent the money. Maybe I should have bought a pencil. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, keep it small, keep the money in the bank, money yeah. in the bank, definitely good when you're doing anything in the arts. And so I was, you know, trying to figure out what to do. And I'm like, well, maybe, okay, if I shouldn't have spent the money, right, constraints. And I was kind of reminding myself of this idea of limitations. Okay, limitations aren't bad. That's good. Okay. And then that moment where I was like, well, maybe, maybe I need to work with like a dollar's worth of supplies. Yeah, like one pencil, like what can I create for just a buck? Hmm. And that little idea was in my head for a while, and I ended up from there kind of, well, I was, I was sitting at Starbucks uh, uh, drinking coffee, working late on our project, and I had this kind of uh, kind of an odd moment, but I was just sitting there spacing out, as we all do eventually. We kind of, gl- you know, you glaze over, your eyes are somewhere in the room. You don't really know what you're looking at because you're thinking, but then as my eyes came into focus, I realized I was just staring at my coffee cup. Very odd moment, innocuous moment, but innocuous i think that's the wrong word actually <laughs> unimportant how about that okay I'm, but i'm sitting there staring at the coffee cup and i realized that instead of putting that the, the brown sleeve on the cup that they they always do they had actually given me two cups you know that second cup as acting as the sleeve and i was looking at that and i'm like oh you know maybe i could draw on a cup you know that's a kind of it's a different kind of a canvas oh, okay what could i do there and it, you know, I didn't even know I you know, probably could draw in a cup. And of course you can, you know, it's some kind of a paper composite. And so, but I instantly kind of realized too, cause I needed to work large scale. Cause that's what my hand kind of required of me. I was like, well, one cup isn't going to cut, you know, I need a bunch of cups. And I'm thinking, you know, maybe I can ask the barista or maybe I could just collect them over the course of a number of months, just, you know, asking for two cups instead of the sleeve. But I, so I decided I was going to ask the barista and I, I literally walk up and I'm like, Hey, and she's kind of in the back corner, you know, nobody's getting any orders. And, and she's like, what? And I'm like, uh, 
Yeah, say, uh, so my name's Phil. Uh, I'm an artist. Yeah, like the most awkward introduction ever. I was I was a very awkward person for most of my life. <laughs> Arguably still am. But so I'm kind of introducing myself. And I'm like, so again, you know, I'm an artist. And could I have like a bunch of cups? Because I'm, I'm thinking of making a picture on the cups. And she kind of threw up her hands, which to me is like the universal sign of go away, weirdo. Like, eh, no, no, no. But it was the opposite. It was the universal sign of it's the evening shift. I do not care in the slightest. And she she reached behind her where all the cups were and she grabs this huge bag. I don't I mean it must have been, you know, 50, 100 cups. I have no idea what her in you know, those big the bag with the double stacks. She gave them to me and then I you know, all of a sudden I had all these cups. I'm like, what am I going to do with it? And from there it's like I started to try to find different ways to stack the cups. That was kind of the first thing. And so I ended up finding a way I could stack the cups and make what it was essentially kind of a, a big canvas with them, even though they're all curved and individual. And then I just drew this this picture of this uh, young man named Dowdy that I was sponsoring through. Oh, I forget what the, the organization's name. But anyway, I was sponsoring him. He, he was was an artist. He, he, he liked making art. And he was in Africa. He's growing up and needed help. And so it was kind of one of those processes. And I'm like, oh, it'd be kind of cool to make a picture of him on the Starbucks cups. And so anyway, I drew this picture. And then as I'm sitting there looking at it, I'm like, wait, I just gave myself, you know, this constraint of working for a buck. And, and it worked. And I made a picture that I'm pretty proud of. And and holy crap, here's another kind of eye-opening moment, like constraints. Okay, yes, con- these limitations, you can actually create limitations for yourself. And they can actually not just push you creatively, but they can they can save you money. <laughs> they can you know cause you to work in completely different ways. And so then that became this whole extra journey, trying to figure out what in the world to do with kind of setting constraints for myself, different limitations. I think the biggest one, the biggest constraint I ever had was, it was probably about maybe seven or eight months later, I was trying to figure out, you know, and I kind of needed something to shake up in my life. I'm that kind of person where I always need kind of big things happening. Mm. And, in, and I didn't really have anything happening. And I was trying Were you to still out. in the basement? Yeah. Were you still in your brother's yeah. basement? Yeah, yeah, no, I was still in the basement. Yeah, okay, okay. <laughs> I'm like, okay, I need something that kind of takes me beyond the basement. <laughs> and. And uh, what I came up with, and uh, it kind of stemmed from this whole idea of just literally I'd be making art and then I'd shove it in the corner. And so bit by bit, I literally had just piles of art, as I think a lot of us do. And I'm like, what do I do with it? You know, do I give it away, donate it? Like, I I didn't know what to do with it. And so this idea was, was to actually destroy the art, to throw away everything that I created. And... And I had to try to find a way to really commit myself to it. So what I did was I created what, what I called this little series called Goodbye Art. And I literally destroyed all of my art for, for a year. And I made 23 different pieces. And I ended up getting – the whole idea of destruction initially was very, very literal. Like one of the early pieces that I made was this picture because I was working as an x-ray tech. So I made this kind of structure out of foam and then I poured sand into it. And so of course with x-rays, the way they work is that, or the way that the the imagery works is that if you want a lighter shade, you need more, you need a thicker, essentially a body part for, for the human body. That's why the bones show up so nice Ah. is they're thick and dense. And if you want a more transparent or in the picture, a darker spot, you need less stuff. And so I did this picture where I layered all these pieces of foam together. So basically just taking, taking, oh my word, uh, 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 foam. What is the foam we all use? See, I have such a scatter. Styrofoam? No. <laughs> no. 
I'm staring at it right. But anyway, phone core. Holy crap. Oh, there you go. Can you believe that? Love yeah. it. Okay. Love it. <laughs> so I had like eight layers of foam core and it ended up kind of looking like a topographical map. You can oh, imagine yeah, cutting yeah. out and creating, you know, these different thicknesses. And then I poured sand into this whole kind of, you know, maybe an inch and a half thick pile of foam core. And then I x-rayed it. And in the x-ray, I ended up, I ended up creating the, the soldier that was serving in Afghanistan at the time. And it was kind of this weird, beautiful portrait because it's this sand. It was a really gritty image and yet it was made with x-rays. And I remember sitting there in my little corner of my room. Now that's what I call my studio, as we all do, the corner of the room. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and I'm sitting there looking at this x-ray and I'm like, am I really going to destroy it? Am I going to shred it? Am I going to tear it up? And because nobody was watching my videos, nobody cared, nobody was paying attention. And I'm like, no one would notice if I just kept this one. <laughs> but, but it was, you know, that idea of when you tell yourself you're going to do something, you have to commit to it, you have to go for it. And I'm like, okay, here we go. And I got the paper shredder out and I just shoved the thing into the paper shredder. And I, I was watching, I actually found the video fairly recently because I'm, I'm kind of working on some kind of going back and reworking some of my, my old stuff. And the look on my face when I when I open up the paper shredder and just look at the, the remains is just sheer disappointment. Just like, what the hell did you do? Like, <laughs> <laughs> this, this depressing moment of like, oh, OK, that doesn't exist anymore. All right. This is this is stupid, but maybe someday it'll be meaningful. And Did you do anything with the shreds? No, 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 because yeah, you threw it away. Oh my God. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. So that, that was gone. And then I did that for a year. It was this weird year of kind of trying to figure out what my life was and I'm destroying my art. I'm like, what the hell am I doing? And all that kind of good stuff. So, okay. Now during all of this, what did your family think? You're in the basement, you're working at an (laughs) x-ray place, you're, you're x-raying sand. How did you get it into the x-ray room? Did you, did it, did you have to sneak it in there? Uh, well, so what's what's funny is uh, almost all uh, X-ray departments are flipping over to digital now. So when you know when you get the X-ray, it just pops up on a computer, and so they're doing away with all the dark rooms. But uh, uh, there's oh. still that transition period, probably even still in some places happening. And so the and so a lot of that X-ray film actually just goes bad because they don't use it. And so my, the, the manager was like, well, if you come in after hours and, you know, don't, you don't interrupt anybody and, you know, occupy anybody's time, that, that's fine. You know, go ahead use it. I'm like, wow. sweet. And yeah. so, yeah. So what was your family thinking? Did they think that you'd lost it? <laughs> <laughs> so I, I have been either extremely lucky or kind of weirdly unlucky in a, in a different kind of mindset, but my parents have always been just very supportive. Oh, that's they awesome. Never, yeah. They never say anything negative. And I have learned now as, as an adult, I remember one time asking something about, you know, what they thought about me going to art college and even art college, literally my dad, and he was a superintendent of public schools. So, you know, a very, very kind of controlled individual. He's an engineer by, by, by training originally. And he sort of sits back in his chair and he looks at me. He's like, well, we were just happy that you were continuing your education. (laughs) And I'm like, that's about the biggest dig that I could ever probably get from my dad. Like, Oh, no. He's just happy I did anything. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my God. And so living with your brother, like, what was, is your brother artsy or what was he, what was he thinking of these piles of art in your room that you were then destroying? Yeah, well, he, so he kind of, 
So everybody in my in my family, we all kind of are excited by different things. And my brother, he plays violin, so he has his own kind of form of creativity. My sister isn't published yet, but she's written a couple award-winning uh, scripts and all that kind of stuff. And so we all have our things that we're we're kind of working on. And but but yeah, so my brother was just totally entertained. And oh, good. See, yeah, he didn't see anything weird about it. But everybody that I worked with, now they were they were kind of concerned. <laughs> <laughs> They're very much, you know, I mean, you're in a hospital, you're you're working, everybody's, you know, we're just kind of getting through the day, you know, upgrading the car, hey, getting a new apartment. And they're like, You spent how much money on Oreos? Like <laughs> I had those kinds of questions I had to answer, which <laughs> Um, okay, I have to ask a question because I after I saw um because you reached out to me about the the peach project, which we'll talk about in a minute. And, um, and you sent me a link to your Ted talk. So I was like, cool, I'll go watch this. So good. It was basically all the stuff, you know, that we're talking about now. And I just thought it was, I mean, I love the embrace the shake and it, it, you know, that moment you could have just continued to be defensive and mad <laughs> that the doctor yeah. just said that. But I love that you, that you had that moment where you were like, okay, wait, I can do this. I just think it's so exciting. But then, like, going through your portfolio, it's just, like, so much stuff. And, like, you are certainly not just scribbling anymore. Like, like there are Oreos and peaches and giant cookies and all this crazy stuff. So I have to ask, are you – is there any OCD in there? Uh, <laughs> um, honestly, I would think no, actually, based I, on my experience. Yeah. Because well, – I mean, not, like, the, not that that is a bad thing at all, but it's just, like, yeah. the – patience that you have to create the things you, you create it's just like there's no way a that my brain would come up with those things and b that I'd have the patience to actually execute it <laughs> and so I was like I have to just ask like if there's been a diagnosis because it's yeah. like it's kind of amazing the way your brain works do you think that or do you think this is just who you are I, I you know that's a really good question I'm, I'm sitting there because, I mean, okay, even in high school, I remember this experience where, you know, you're always trying to figure out how you can differentiate yourself from people. I'm like, well, what do I have that other people don't have? And even today, you know, I look around, I'm like, okay, there's a 10,000 other people that can draw phenomenally better than I could ever even hope to. You know, I'm not that kind of, I don't have that kind of skill. But then I kept finding, I'm like, I have a lot more patience. And then on top of the patience, I'm like, I'm willing to kind of commit to weird ideas and kind of be the the odd duck, be the one who's out there, and and really just finding a way to be okay with that. And I, I think that those kind of that that kind of combination of things of, you know, I'm not again looking to upgrade my 2007 Chrysler van. You know, right? <laughs> I'm not. I, I, it's not on my list of things to do. And it's in Minnesota. It takes a wear and tear from the salt, and so it's starting to rust out. And so I'm literally that dude driving around a rusty van, <laughs> and. You know, I, I probably could afford a better van, but I'm like, I'd rather work on other projects and just have my focus on those things. Yeah, okay. and so that, that's really where it comes from. It's just that, for me at least, I think that 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 patience and that that willing to just kind of persist through through those hardships and 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 see see the weird ideas to the end. Mm-hmm. They're so it's so inspiring. And I um, what was I just going to ask you? Um, so. Like because there are, and I'll get into it. And on my site, um, whenever when the podcast goes up, I always have a post that goes with it, so that people can yeah. see that what we're talking about. You know, and I'll show the um, the drawing on the Starbucks cups and stuff. Um, but there are so many diverse ideas, and they're just all so amazing. Are those ideas just sort of constantly coming to you, and you're just jotting them down? Because 
I assume each one takes so long, but like while you're working on peaches in your head, are you thinking, ooh, cookies? But obviously you can't jump over to that at that moment because you're busy with peaches. So like, yeah, are you kind of keeping track of stuff or when you're working on something, is that all you're thinking about? Yeah. How do I keep that literal like shotgun, unorganized mind? How how do I? Yeah. Focus. Yes. No, and it is. And I, I always have way too many things that I'm attempting to work on. And I really do try to keep track of all the, all the failures I have. So I feel like, okay, so I, let's say I come up with 50 ideas. From those 50, I probably actually try to move forward on about 15. And then from those, maybe three actually make it to reality. Mm, so okay. like one weird one, one that I still is on the back, super back burner is uh, I, I found out a way to re- you basically you plug one hair dryer into another hair dryer. So you have two and it looks kind of like a, some kind of a gun. <laughs> and then on the front of that, I made this contraption where I can actually drop crayons into it. And so when I turn on the hair dryers, they actually melt the crayons and they spray the crayon out. And so it ends up being this kind of <sighs> weird spray paint, but with a crayon kind of machine gun looking thing. And I, I've never done anything with it, but it's still one of those things. It's just sitting there staring at me like, come on, man. <laughs> oh, my God. See, that is insane. Like, that's the coolest thing, that your brain would be like, here's a thought. Let's grab some hair dryers, throw some crayons in, give it a whirl. I love yeah, that I, so yeah. much. And you know what? This could have all been missed. The, whole, the You and the world could have missed out on all of this because you could have – said to yourself, I can't do dots. I'm done. Yeah, it was. Yeah. I, I keep looking back at that moment of, you know, I mean, I, I think life is, I'm kind of fascinated by so many different things, but the one that I keep coming back to is why we are who we are and the little tiny things that caused us to exist. So can I tell you a really kind of peculiar and absolutely beautiful story about my parents? Yes, please. Okay. So my parents, they, they knew each other in college, and they both married different people, went off and were living their own lives. Then uh, my mom's husband, he died. And then about three months later, my dad's wife died in a car accident. And so here they are living their own separate lives, you know, widowed now, and you know, trying to figure out how to navigate that life. And, and one thing real quick, too, is that my mom talked about how hard it was in that day and age uh, to be a, a widow and not just a widow. Cause her husband actually committed suicide. He was, had mental issues and, uh, uh com- and he killed himself. And that was something that literally people, you kind of weren't allowed to talk about. And so here she is trying to grieve and she can't talk about this love that she had in her life and this loss. And my she dad, must have been young too. Is she, how old was she? Yeah. I mean, they must've both been around probably around 25, oh. I guess. Yeah. And then my dad is living in some other state and his wife dies in a car accident. He finds out about it as he's teaching a classroom because they're teaching a class of students. They, they, they can't find him because, you know, no, no real easy way of communication. So somebody literally walks into his classroom, pulls him out and tells him his wife just died. And then that Christmas, and here's where we get to this kind of beautiful story, is that that Christmas, my dad living it out by himself in a state that he's never lived in, doesn't know anybody to really as a couple friends. He's trying to write Christmas cards and he writes a bunch of Christmas cards. And I don't know, he maybe wasn't feeling it in terms of sending them out, but he ended up literally putting a stamp on one Christmas card and sent it out. And that guy, a college friend who got it happened to know my mom. Cause my dad didn't know my mom that, or they didn't, you know, not in communication. He's the only guy who gets this Christmas card 
And he writes my dad back and he's like, hey, did you know that Diane, her husband, passed away? And that one Christmas card is the reason that I exist. Whoa. Those moments fascinate me. And so these moments in our lives that create us kind of who we are, I find really interesting. So yeah, that the, the, the nudge to, you know, keep drawing to draw again, or the nudge to go to the, you know, the neurologist and then the neurologist giving this little, little bit of a spark and, you know, just being open, I think is one of the things that, that is hard in, in our world. You know, we always, we always talk about being open and it's a wonderful thing to be, but it's hard. You know, people are always throwing new stuff at you. There's always new ideas, new things coming your way. But always trying to just kind of put yourself in that position of, you know, what's the possibility here and mm-hmm. keeping keeping open. If something for me, you know, this this dream had died and trying to revive it like that, that was that was pretty scary. Mm-hmm. I think, you know, it's so that it's so true, like listening to the universe, you know, these things. It's easy to get frustrated and if things aren't going your way or, you know, you're grieving or you know, your hand isn't doing what you want it to do. It's so easy to be like, poor me, I'm done. But when you, if you can be open and it is a challenge, if you can be open and listen, it's, it's just kind of amazing the magic that can happen. And that's why when I watched your Ted talk, I was like, okay, I have to have this guy on because it's just, I mean, I've had goosebumps like three times during this conversation because it's so, it's such a beautiful message that you have and you're living it. You know, it's like, it's, you're really, truly living it. It's amazing. Yeah. Well, and, and then you mentioned the TED Talk, and I'm, I'm working on another kind of little chunk of content right now. And it's, there was this other period in my life where just, just maybe five years ago now, four or five years ago, where I was just depressed as I'll get out. I, I was just, I felt like I was working for other people. I felt like, because I mean, I, I had my calendar and it was, it was full of jobs, which I always dreamed as an artist, like, that's what you want. You know, you want to be working, you want to be selling things, you want to be making things. And maybe I was going a little more of a commercial route, but literally here I was, my calendar was completely full. I had all these projects, you know, better income than I had ever had in my life. And I was just utterly depressed and I didn't, and it was just so weird because here again, you know, there's the the opposite, you know, I think it's going to be this wonderful experience. And yet it was not at all what I was looking for. And is it because you weren't doing the things you, like you were, it was a client project, so you were executing a brief or what was it? Yeah. And yes, exactly. So a bunch of different client things and uh, trying to do is doing this art education startup. And it was this online platform for watching videos and tutorials about art and learning about art. And it was amazing and beautiful, but I just kept finding, I'm like, I have to make like I, I, there was a, that whole year I made one personal project, and that was that moment where I was just like, "I this is this isn't what I want," and I was trying to figure out what was happening, and I actually kind of found this this weird weird little idea. It's kind of small, but but it, when we're kids, we're growing up, and we're always taught that creativity is going to be fun, right? It's it's always fun. It's bright. It's colorful. It's all these good things, but then when we get older, you know, people tell us, oh, you know, <laughs> hope you have a backup plan, you know, <laughs> <laughs> like, oh, yeah, when you're a kid, it's, yeah, go explore your art, your creativity. But then as you get older, I feel like we tend to get kind of knocked down bit by bit. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's like you really have to carve out that space for yourself. And what I kept kind of finding was that, and the, oh, and then the other thing, too, is that I, I was thinking about when we're kids with sports. And when we're playing sports, we actually get taught the opposite. It's, you know, no pain, no gain. 
you know, when the going gets tough, the tough get going. And I was thinking about that, literally that very kind of clear dichotomy of we get taught in sports it's going to be hard. And it is hard and you have to push through and you have to find a way and you got to dig down deep. And I'm like, but with art, we're told it's going to be fun. It's going to be enjoyable. And we're going to, it's just going to be great times all the time. And it was, I literally, I remember standing in the kitchen when I just had that moment where I realized, I'm like, you know, creativity actually has this whole level, this part of it that it kind of sucks. <laughs> <laughs> it sucks to try to come up with ideas. It sucks because you have to pick one idea, not, you know, the, as I, you know, the other 50. It sucks because you, when you, when you, when you create that idea, it might not work, you know, it might look horrible, which I've done many, many times. Mm-hmm. And even if it looks good and you put it out into the world, you might have people tell you it's stupid or, you know, just literally their, their only comment is why. And I'm like, come on. <laughs> I mean, I agree. Why? I have that question myself too. And, and I just, it's more and more, I'm like, okay, if creativity sucks, that's fine. Yeah, that is, that's normal. That's like a part of the process. And I kind of found it when I looked back at my life, I'm like, I have been able to kind of push through these sucky times, but now I'm, I'm kind of launching into this whole other thing, but I've actually taken this, this idea as I now tend to do of if something is, is kind of causing a constraint or a limitation, like how can I explore it? And so this, this idea of, of creativity sucking has become actually kind of one of my new kind of hidden little things that I guess now people know about, but they, nobody, nobody knew about before, but I'm trying to figure out different ways that I can kind of take the ideas and the problems I run into in creativity and find a way to get kind of weirdly kind of push that, push that idea as far as I can. And is it cool if I share one with you? Yes, please. Okay. So the, the one, and it's, it's, I feel like it anyway. So the idea, <laughs> I, you know how we are when you get too damn excited about stuff is the, the idea I had was I wanted to, well, okay. So it stemmed from creativity sucks because it takes too much money. And I think we all know that we all, all experienced that. Yeah. And I'm, okay. Well, if it takes too much money, how can I, how can I get creative with that idea money, you know, and the value of money, the anyway, blah, blah, blah. So I'm trying to figure that out. And one of the ideas that came up as my brain, as we now know, is shotgunning off all these ideas <laughs> like, Oh, you should use money to make a picture. And I'm like, okay, but how am I going to do that? Because you can't spend money, you know, you right. find how can I use money but not use money was kind of the idea that I was coming up with. And this took a while to actually happen. But and what ended up kind of being the idea is like, I need to apply for a loan to make a picture, to make art and literally get a loan from the bank. But then what I do, and this is what ended up happening is I, I, I wanted to take the money out as cash, $1 bills, and then make art with the $1 bills. And then in the end, put it back in the bank. So paying off the loan with the same money that I took out. And I'm like, you know, I got to find the right idea. I'm like, I think I can do this. And anyway, I ended up coming up with what I was going to do is uh, have these little tiny blocks of wood. So like a two by two and then wrap each dollar bill around a block of wood. So in the end, I'd have whatever amount of dollar bills, all these blocks of wood. And I'd end up using them as pixels to make this huge picture. And where I ended up, so so here I am. I'm needing, in a, and then I start to run the numbers on the pixels. It's ten thousand, and I'm like, am, am I really? Am I going to apply for a loan for ten thousand dollars? Like this sounds so insane, but kind of it kind of magically hilarious too. And I'm like, okay, you know what? I have a plan. Everything's organized. I'm going to go for it. And so I go to the bank, 
And I'm sitting that literally sitting down with a banker and I'm like, I'm an artist. I would like to apply for a loan for $10,000 to make an artwork. And she sort of stares at me and she's like, say that again. <laughs> and I'm like, okay, yeah, seriously. I, yeah, I want to apply for a loan. And so I apply, put in my application and it was what, four days later I get rejected and I'm like, okay, so the other category wasn't working for me. So what I ended up doing is I, I'm like, well, you know, I have other loans, so I'm going to go in. I'm going to say it's for loan consolidation. So forget the art part of it. I'm, I want to consolidate some loans. And so I go in, again, same banker, and she's like, the same loan, but now, okay. Like, if, if, it's, if the numbers are there and if they approve it, it's okay. And so I did loan consolidation. I got approved for 10 grand, which I had to do a special request. And they had to, you know, the Brinks truck, the giant truck with the cash in it. Oh, you know, yeah. they had a special delivery of $10,000 in cash. And with that 10 grand, which was, it looks pretty substantial, by the way. It looks like a million dollars. I bet, cool. yeah. Yeah. And then the work began of wrapping those bills and I, you know, had help on that part and wrapping these bills around blocks of wood and then stacking them up. And the, it ended up creating this, this picture I call Anthropocene, which Anthropocene is the, the beginning of humanity is as the modern age. So when they look back in history, uh, uh, anthropologists and all that kind of, you know, they're digging through the layers. They're always kind of creating these different layers of earth. And we now have a layer where the, the nuclear bombs that happened in World War II, they deposited radiation everywhere in the world. So no matter where they dig, they can find this level of radiation. And they've decided they're like this, and it's arguable, everybody says different things, but they're like, this is the beginning of hum humans' effect on Earth. Hmm. And, and who knows? So now we're in a new era in geological time. And so anyway, I named this piece Anthropocene. It's actually a recreation of a nuclear explosion. And it was uh, 16 feet wide, nine and a half feet tall, made with $10,000 in cash. Uh, I displayed the thing uh, this last summer in Omaha at a, a, a gallery called Kaneko. And it was up for a few months and somebody actually stole a few bucks, which was entertaining. <laughs> I, had a, I had a security camera up because I figured there's a decent possibility. <laughs> And somebody stole some money. And in the anyway, at the end, I took the whole thing down, took all the bills back into the bank and paid off the loan. And so Oh my sure. god. My mouth has been open the, the entire that entire story. <laughs> it's crazy, right? It's, it's awesome. <laughs> But more and more, I'm like, okay, again, you know, I, I don't feel like I have the most amazing skill set in a certain sense compared, you know, like the, the people can, that can draw just phenomenally well, it just blows my mind. But I'm like, okay, but I have this other willingness to commit to weird ideas and push them to the extreme and get oh a $10,000 loan sure to make do. Oh my God. Yeah. I love it. Well, you know, this is, I talk about this a lot with, um, yeah. unblocking projects, right? Like, um, set set constraints and then play within them because then mm -hmm. it's not, you know, the possibilities are endless. Oh my God, the possibilities are endless. Like if you decide I'm only going to use the yellow supplies that I own, you know, there, that's all you can do. You can't go buy new stuff. It's like, you just have to pull out all the yellow things you have and you're making something with that. Um, and so I do that sometimes when I get stuck. I also have started doing this thing where I have three jars in my studio and one has, they all have slips of paper, and um, one has all slips of paper with colors written down. The other mm. one has um, mediums, like paint or collage or whatever. And then the other one has, um, like, themes, like um, textures or, you know, whatever I want in there. And so yeah. when I'm stuck, I just pull one slip from each jar. And now I have to do um, blue um, with paint and I have to use, I have, it has to be dots. 
And so now I'm forced to make yeah. something with that. And it just helps, right? Because now you don't have yeah. to think of it. The jars thought of it. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I, I saw on your website the suggested project. Yeah. <laughs> and I thought it's kind of the same, right? Yes. <laughs> so can you tell us about that? Yeah, so uh, and, and and you can see this underlying thing where again, kind of committing to these weird ideas. Not just the art project, but this idea too of like I'm taking this idea of creativity sucks and trying to run with it as far as I can. So one time I was thinking, you know, it's like it kind of sucks sometimes because you have to come up with ideas like your chars, and it's like how can you find a way to just you have to make something with kind of a couple things that are handed to you. And so I ended up uh, sending out an email um, on my, my email list, if anybody wants to sign up. Ha ha. <laughs> and, and I'm like, hey, what what material do you think I should that, that would be hard to create with? And then a method of creation that you think would just be weird or funny to see. And I think there was a thousand submissions that came in. And then those thousand little things and ideas from people are all cut up put into these jars and kind of like you, I was sitting there, I'm like, Oh, what am I going to get? You know? And I was like, one jar was the, the material. One was the method. And so I reach into them and pull them out. And the combination that I had was styrofoam. And I'm like, okay, well, styrofoam, it seems a little hard to work with it, but not overly kind of hard and difficult. And then I look at the method of creation it was spinning on a merry-go-round. <laughs> and I'm like, but then I'm like, instantly I'm like, where is a, mer- I've ne- I haven't even seen a merry-go-round. Like, in years, because they, they're just too dangerous, they keep getting rid of them. But then uh, uh, one of the guys in the studio, Eric, he was, he was, you know, kind of all doing this, kind of chatting together, and he's like, "I know where a merry-go-round is." <laughs> Fair enough. Here's this tiny little merry-go-round, it's like maybe four feet wide. And I'm like, okay, well now I have a merry-go-round, and I, I got permission from the city. I've never really done that before. It was just kind of, I didn't want to get kicked off when I or kicked away when I was doing this this project. And I'm like, now styrofoam. What the heck am I going to do? And Styrofoam, as I was kind of, I literally had a piece and I was kind of pushing it and feeling it and thinking about styrofoam. So many different ideas, but one, it was just like, you know, it's kind of a giant, uh, um, like a no, not linoleum. Yeah, linoleum block. I'm like, oh, it's kind of squishy. It's kind of a big, big thing. I'm like, what if I just did kind of like a giant print or, you know, this kind oh, of, yeah, what like if a I, lino cut kind of thing? Yeah, lino cut. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah, I'm like, what if I just carved into it? And so I took this big piece of white styrofoam and I painted it black. And then proceeded to put this on top of the merry-go-round where it was kind of its own little structure and then spin on the merry-go-round underneath it with a couple razor blades. And I carved into the styrofoam, you know, I've eaten, and we've all kind of done this before where you play with a line thickness. Mm-hmm. So it's solid line, but the line gets thinner or thicker in different places and that creates the shade. And I ended up creating this picture of Chuck Close by spinning on the merry-go-round and carving away at it. So this giant spiral that ended up making this picture. And then, of course, at the end, I had to I had to smash it and destroy it. Well, sure, sure, because you're you. <laughs> um, I'll put the video up on the site because you're basically you kind of look like a like a guy at a at a car garage. Like you're lying on your back on the merry-go-round, and the 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 styrofoam is above you, so that you're kind of it's like you're working on underneath a car. And I was like, that's insane slash brilliant. <laughs> I think was, that's the theme of this episode, actually. Insane slash brilliant. <laughs> <laughs> and all from other people's things. So it's like, yeah, and and, uh, and actually, I'm like, oh, as you're talking about this, I'm like, you know, I think where I got kind of this notion is that uh, uh, my girlfriend, when she's drawing, every once in a while, she'll be like, oh, what do I draw? And she'll be like, say a word. Mm. And I'm like, I just have to say a word, and then she'll find a way to make that word into a drawing. And I'm like, maybe that's where it came from. But yeah, this idea of just, you know, if, if somebody feels stuck, like, 
hey, you know, make an Instagram story like, hey, say, send, send me a word, send me a thing. Mm-hmm. Sometimes what I, what I tell people to do too is, um, and this works for writers and for artists, um, if you go onto Twitter and don't read the first part of the thread, but like get down into somebody's thread a little bit deeper and there's weird stuff because it's out of context because you don't know what the, the original tweet was about. Um, and then you use that as a jumping off place. Like there was one that I saw a girl that I follow and it said, um, yeah, but does the unicorn have a head? And I was like, (laughs) what? And then when you read back through the thing, it all makes sense. Right. But I was like, that's such a great jumping off point for like a story or a poem or a painting or a collage or whatever, because it's so random. Yeah. And then you can just go for it. And like what I tell people with paintings too, is if you're intimidated by a giant blank canvas, right? Where do you start? I will often get my kid to do the first stroke or the first scribble or whatever. So that it's like, okay, he wrecked the canvas. That wasn't my fault. And (laughs) now the first mark is there. And then I use that as a jumping off point because, you know, now, now we're in it together kind of. And, um, I think, I think using that kind of those suggestions, it's such a great um, way to get your creativity moving if it's not moving, you know? Yeah. And, and quite potentially in a completely different direction than what you would have picked for the day, which, yeah, yeah that, that spontaneity, that, that spark of the moment, it's, it's delightful. I mean, I never would have worked on a merry-go-round. I never would have yeah. carved styrofoam. <laughs> I know. Exactly. That's so cool. Are you going to keep doing those? Or was that like a one-off suggestion? Or will you do more suggestions? I like the idea of it, but I feel like I have limited time for kind of my own stuff too, as we all, you know, we all feel compressed by time. Yeah. So I'm sure I'll do it again, but, but yeah, probably not consistently. So are you for like work, are you still doing, um, like client work and commissions? The extra days are long gone, right? Yeah. Yeah. So I've been, let's see, I ended up, uh, I, was, I was an x-ray tech for about five years and I ended up doing the, the thing that kind of set the ball rolling, going a different direction for, for the art side is I did this painting a long time ago, painting, I don't, anyway, it used paint. I don't know if you call it a painting, <laughs> but I painted pictures on my stomach and I just did one, I did 30 pictures. It took an entire weekend and I had a camera set up and I did high speed afterwards. And so I compressed it all down. And that was actually the first, the, yeah, the very first video I ever had featured on YouTube. And this is back when YouTube had like one front page the whole world saw. And so it was just like this instant, you know, global kind of visual. And this weird project ended up then maybe two, th- two three years later, I got contacted by an ad agency who they asked if I would uh, uh, be essentially the artist or the body in, in, in a commercial. And so it ended up being this uh, heartburn medication and my stomach appeared in the commercial and there was this nationwide ad. And then that actually provided me with enough income to then be able to quit x-ray. And then as, as things do, the bank account kept getting smaller and smaller. And then I had this really weird opportunity to, to ultimately to be able to speak at TED. I was actually part of a competition which is a whole other kind of cool, exciting thing, but to a conversation. But, uh, so there's part of this competition. I was one of, one of a, maybe a dozen or maybe two dozen winners. And so I got to go speak at Ted and that's of course where I was able to share my story. But then from there, I had no idea that my story would connect with kind of 
just different groups, different associations, businesses, clubs, all that kind of stuff. So then I started to get invited to go around and to share my story and to, to go and just kind of speak and kind of, kind of share this journey that I've been on. So then that has actually become more of the job now, which has in a way meant that I don't have to do as many uh, commission and advertising projects. And so it's kind of become this, at first it felt like it was pulling me away from art, but now I actually do more art because I, I have that steady, reliable job and paycheck, which allows me to have the freedom to take every other moment. I'm not, you know, I don't have to now, uh, uh, like I've done in the past of having to go kind of fight for each job and, you know, putting together proposals and, and stuff. So now yeah. flexibilities. Oh my gosh. What? A, it's so funny too, because when you're in it, like, you know, when, when your hand wasn't working and when you were like, I don't know what I'm going to do. It's so amazing that now that is the story that pays your bills. Because yeah. when you're yeah. in it, like, that's how I felt too. You know, I had a terrible experience at art school and you come out of it and you're like, I don't know, I was the art kid. And now I was told I should never paint again. And, you yeah. know, and then that has now become like, that's how Jealous Curator started. And that's how like, it's led to everything I've ever done. But when you're in it, it just feels like the end of the world. Yeah. And, um, you know, I think it's such a good message for people to be like, if you're in the moment right now where you're feeling like, oh man, <laughs> this is the end yeah. of the world. Just know that that could be your superpower. Yeah. You know, like that's yeah. what, if you can harness that and figure out a way to make it your superpower, you, you can. Yeah. It, and to know that it, it's everybody goes through those sucky times. Yeah. And it's easy for somebody who's like famous or somebody who's wildly successful to tell about their sucky times. But I feel like you know, when we're all trying to just make it, we're all just trying to, you know, survive the next year, or just have enough time for our art. It's like, we don't want to talk about those sucky times. We don't want to acknowledge that sometimes it's hard, mm-hmm. but it is for all of us every, you know, every conceivable place. And it's like, we need that, 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 that's just that attitude of it does suck for everyone. That's literally part of the creation process is that yeah. it's going to be. And to know that and to accept that and, you know, if, if somebody doesn't struggle, like that's weird actually. Yeah. (laughs) And you know, like that was my big aha moment when I wrote my first book, creative block, because here I, you know, I interviewed 50 artists from around the world that are all successful. And when they all, like, I was literally, (laughs) I mean, so naive, I guess, but so surprised when they were all like, Oh yeah, I get blocked all the time. Oh yeah. I hear my inner critic all the time. I was like, what, Mm. you know, and to, to realize that people that you admire so much have moments of I've got nothing and like I think your sport analogy is so smart because um yeah like we have to push through and I I didn't I you know when I when that prof told me to quit I quit and um now I look back and I'm like Uh, oh like I wasted 15 years listening to that like I why didn't I push through and now I do, but the sport analogy is so good because it's just like, you know, no pain, no gain. And like, yeah. I wish I had thought that. I wish I had thought, you know what? Okay. I just got knocked down. I'm going to get up, dust the dirt off and keep on going. Cause I would have done that in any of the sports I played. Yeah. And oh, that's that such a good analogy. Yeah. It's so weird. I, once I had that, when I had that realization, I was like, this is the dumbest thing that I think I've ever noticed in my life. <laughs> yeah, it's such a common, it's so simple. Yeah, well, and, 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 and I've, you know, as I've been able to travel around and kind of chat with different groups, I meet people who, they tell me that they used to create, they used to be creative, they used to be an artist. 
And there was one guy I was talking to, and he showed me pictures on his phones of his art. I'm like, oh, cool. When'd you make this? And the guy was probably 60. And he sort of leans his head back. He's like, well, you know, this is when I was in my early 20s. And immediately, my, you know, I'm trying not to make my jaw drop. But he's like, oh, so probably 40, 42 years ago. And yet he's talking about it as if it was yesterday because, yeah, there's something where he's not willing to push through yep. the crumminess get to that next place. Yep. I'm like, is wow. If I ever feel stuck, I just need to, I need to be happy. Like, good. Okay. Yeah. I'm stuck. Yeah. Well, that's sort of how I felt after, after getting all those interviews back, because I was like, huh, these people I admire so much, they get stuck too, which means I'm in the same club as them, which is actually super cool. <laughs> like, Yes. It, it's it's the badge of honor, right? It means you're an artist. If you get stuck, if you you know, if your inner critic tells you you suck, like it's just a badge. Like it's just you've earned yet another badge in being an artist. So like own it. You know, it's kind of exciting, and it's I mean, it's hard in the moment, which is why I say this over and over and over in as many situations as I can, because I want people to realize when they hit that moment where they're like, oh God, I've got nothing, or this sucks, or I suck awesome. Throw on the badge because you just earned another one. You know, it's, it's a better way to think of it. Cause then you can keep going. I know it's heartbreaking. I've met so many people too, who haven't made for 40 years because a teacher said something or a parent said something or whatever. And it's just like, what a colossal waste of potential, you know? Yeah. I, th I think maybe we need, we need some, some writers out there who, who kind of can really kind of play with phrases really well. And they need to come up with some phrases. That, that like are for artists like yeah. <laughs> in that same category. And then we, we, we try to get them out to art teachers and like, Hey, this is, this is what you need to think about when it sucks. This is what you gotta be. Yeah, you gotta Embrace be the shake. Hashtag. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, I just, I, I, I'm not, I'm not trying to, this isn't a plug, but um, I just wrote a kid's book um, that comes out in the fall in September. And uh, it's the whole thing because I kept meeting people at all these events, you know, that are in their like thirties through their eighties. And so many people told me when they were, it's always when they were six, seven, or eight. Oh, really? That they were told they couldn't draw or that, you know, they should focus on something more serious or it's always when they were quite little. And apparently, like, I've talked to quite a few teachers and they said that's developmentally when their brain is sort of deciding, like, oh, I'm a math kid. Oh, I'm a, I'm the sport kid or, you know, whatever. Mm. And if they're told you can't draw, they believe it. Yeah. And that's just the end of it, you know, and then they might dabble, but like they, they decide that that's that. And so I thought, well, instead of waiting till these people are 40 and at one of my events, <laughs> why don't I talk to them when they're six, seven or eight and let them know that psst, if anybody tells you this stuff, it's wrong. Yeah. And, uh, and so, yeah, I wrote this kid's storybook about this. And so I, I, have never been so excited about anything I've ever done ever. And I cannot wait for this oh, to be in the world because, um, you know, it just breaks my heart when you meet these people that, that, you know, they could have had, you know, and luckily a lot of them are starting again, but like, you know, they're starting at 60 or 70 or 80. And it's like, yeah. you could have had this whole, you could have been on a merry-go-round with a slab of styrofoam <laughs> above your head. You could have been baking cookies that were scenes like, you know, it, it's just, it's, if, if between you and I, if we can stop people from having to go through that, wouldn't that be great? Oh, that'd be amazing. It'd be amazing. Um, okay. I have kept you on here for so long, but I need, we have to talk about your Trump peaches before, and then you've got a little project that you're going to do on this episode, but let's talk about your Trump peaches and then let's do your, your project. 
Okay. Okay. Well, so going back to the shotgun kind of method of, of working, I will have these ideas that just kind of pop up kind of I, I, multiple times a week where they're just kind of silly ideas that make me laugh. Like, oh, that'd be, that'd be kind of awesome to do that, but I'm not going to do it. Or that'd be fun to do this. So I'm not going to do it. Or those kinds of ideas. And with, with the Trump impeachment stuff happening, of course, my brain is just like peaches, Trump. Wait, what? We, you need to make Trump with peaches. And I'm like, that is so silly and dumb and also kind of awesome. I, I, th- I think this needs to happen. <laughs> and so I did a bunch of planning and made this, what was it, maybe six foot by four foot picture of Trump. He has this kind of wily kind of weird little smirk on his face as he does. And made it out of peaches. And I left it on the studio floor, put a webcam on top of it. And it's it made it about two weeks before the mold got uh, to to be a bit excessive. And, and it was thrown away. But and it dried up a bit, too. And I'm like, maybe maybe there's something here. Maybe this and, and as the as the uh, uh, everything is kind of commencing and moving through the Senate right now, it's like, oh, yeah, it's going to kind of dry up. It's going to be a taint on things and be ugly. But it's, yeah, that's what it is. So that's so great. Because, yeah, when you reached out to me, I was like, I think you had just started it, hadn't you? Because I was like, I want, and you didn't know if it was going to rot or dry out. So it rotted. Yes, it did. It yeah, did. yeah, that's it got quite moldy. I had to buy a, a air purifier, keep that door closed, and only go in there with a mask. <laughs> oh my God! Well, that isn't that an analogy. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my. oh, that's so awesome. Okay, so here we are. Tell us what you're gonna do on Ooh, the podcast yes. right now. So what I have is I'm sitting in a little corner of the the studio space here, and behind me I have a picture that I made of of, of awesome, awesome, awesome Bob Ross. So I, oh, as many Bob. of us probably grew up, yes, seeing Bob Ross on PBS doing some painting and being both mesmerized. Doing the the half an hour with Bob. And, and often not even painting, just sitting there watching and listening to the guy. And uh, a little while ago, I had this, this idea that I was going to essentially try to – I've always been interested in patterns and how kind of our eye is attracted to the blemish within the pattern. You know, if you get – if, if your genes happen to be perfect, but then you get that one little tear in the genes and, you, you know, just one like little piece of thread sticking up, you just keep seeing it. Mm-hmm. And I was thinking about patterns and like, oh, how could I play with patterns to actually push the – imperfection to a degree where rather than seeing, you know, as you see, you see sometimes online where people share, you know, like that you had one job and here's this big, beautiful tiled floor and there's one tile that's turned the wrong way. And I'm like, but how can you push that to the extreme to where all of a sudden you end up with something that's again, beautiful with so much imperfection that it kind of works in a completely different way. And so I ended up uh, uh, creating the, these different patterns and then I made, uh, I took some, some lino cut, took some stamps made the stamps of the pattern. And then those stamps were pressed at, I guess, essentially different, different firmnesses, uh, to create different shades. So kind of a light, medium, dark. If you, if you press an, you know, a stamp on an ink pad and then you press it 10 times in a row down the table kind of thing, you know, of course it's going right. to get light. And so I was kind of working with the first press after pressing the ink pad, I think it was the fourth and then maybe the eighth press. So kind of wasting a bunch of presses. And so then kind of using that little stamp to create different shades. And so I created this this picture of Bob Ross using this stamping method to create lots of imperfection in the end, creating this picture of Bob Ross. And what I'm going to do is, if it's cool with you, I'd like to to tear it up. Maybe we can capture some audio of the tearing here. Okay. 
Because <laughs> I like to destroy things. I'm like, what am I going to do with it? I could give it to somebody, but I feel like maybe maybe somebody would enjoy a piece of it more than the, than the whole thing. And then more people get to enjoy it, too. So, okay, all right, here we let go. Pull, let, let me pull it off the wall here. All right, I'm going to try to get kind of close. Can you hear me okay? Uh, I sure can, yeah. Okay, all right. So here's the paper. The picture is maybe three feet tall, two and a half feet wide. And I'm going to give Bob a nice big tear down the middle if I can. Oh, no! So there's, there's one. I'm going to get a little closer for the second tear. All right, Bob is officially going away now. Oh, no. Oh! oh. And now silence. Bob's on the floor. Oh, Bob. Okay, now oh. what are you going to do with those pieces? I could do so many things, but the, the thing I keep kind of coming to is it's kind of fun to, to give destroyed art to people. Uh huh. <laughs> I have literally seen the look on people's faces when you give them something that's smashed and they liked it in the previous version when it was together. And they sort of stare at you like, what the heck? Why? Why are you doing this? I don't want this. And so what I'd like to do is actually, if it's, if it's cool, kind of uh, offer it out to somebody on, on Instagram. So Go over to my page. Uh, you'll find some information there, maybe a little video of the destruction that you just heard, and you can win a piece of the picture and have a nice little uh, framed piece of Bob Ross on your wall. I love it. Like This is <laughs> the best giveaway on a podcast ever. Okay, everybody, I will put all of the info so that you can go to Phil's Instagram. And it's at Phil in the Circle, right? Yeah, P-H-I. Yeah. Fill in the circle. Yeah. yeah. So I will put this all on the site and you can possibly get a chunk of Bob. It's <laughs> oh, amazing. If we could all just have a chunk of Bob. If we could all just, do you know what is so crazy? So I live in a tiny town in Canada, in British Columbia, and um, my local art gallery is having a show of Bob Ross works. Oh, no way. Like Whoa. 34 Bob Ross paintings. Wait, can I get that information? That would be, that's super cool. Isn't that insane? I can't believe it. It's yeah. like just down the lake from me, like 10 minutes. And I'm doing a talk um, during the show called um, Make Art, Not Excuses. I wanted to call the show Happy Little Accidents, but Bob's people, it was a little too trademarky. I was a little too close. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, but yeah, so I get to do this talk with a backdrop of Bob Ross originals behind me that is that is pretty darn cool isn't that insane so it's on march 11th um i'll put all the info in for that too and in the post but um yeah i laughed out loud when they called and said hey you know what do you want to come do this talk during the bob ross show i'm like what do you mean the bob ross show it's like how did you guys get anyway super exciting he must have made a ton of them right he did but it's it's like been quite elusive like it's been apparently quite hard to actually get the pieces and something I'm, I'm sure people listening actually know the real story and I'm just making stuff up here, but recently like they've um, unearthed like a whole bunch of these originals. And so it's like doing this touring exhibition and somehow um, the Penticton art gallery in British Columbia, (laughs) tiny little town got this show. And so, yeah, it's coming there and I cannot wait. I used to watch, him religiously when I was in university as an art student, um, oh, when I was hungover, <laughs> because it was so relaxing. I would just go yeah. into the like the I lived in Res and I'd go into the lounge with my jammies and a blanket and I would just watch Bob and it was like, oh yes, just yes. paint your mountains, Bob, and tell me everything's gonna be okay. 
<laughs> and so, yeah, it's now I actually get to see real. Suck and it will still be okay. <laughs> exactly. exactly. Um, and I actually just did a piece. I've got a show coming up in Nashville and I did a piece titled um, WWBRD. What would Bob Ross do? I like that. Yeah. Yeah. So there you go. It's all tying together beautifully. See, the universe has brought this all together again. Well, in, 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 in British Columbia, uh, when you said that, I'm like, hey, I'm uh, Ted. Uh, they do their conference in, in, in Vancouver. And I got asked to be one of the speaker liaison, a helper to kind of uh, help the speakers as they prepare for the stage. So I'm going to oh. be I'm going to be at Ted and hopefully kind of sharing some of the behind the scenes as well. So. When, when is that? That is in April, April, the week of the 17th, 18th, somewhere in that, that oh, 20th cool. range. That is yeah. so great. Well, I'm not supposed to say this yet, but this, we are recording this two weeks before it comes out. So I'm going to say it, that I'm speaking at TEDx Nashville in March. Oh, oh Nash, wait, I was just talking to somebody else about TEDx Nashville. It was oh, probably me. Yes. <laughs> was it me? <laughs> Oh, I'm like, oh no, did I just, it, yeah, probably. Yeah, it was probably yeah. me in an email. <laughs> but then I was researching and I'm like, wait, TEDx, Nashville's in, and it's in my head for some reason. Oh. I, I heard some people, yeah, I was at a conference and people were talking about it. It's just, it's a, it's a beautiful event. So it is. Awesome. It's a big Actually. one and I'm super excited. And, and uh, yeah, so that's um, March. I don't know which day I'm speaking. I think it's, it's either the 20th or the 21st. So um, super excited about that. So I'm going to give it a dry run at the Bob Ross talk in Penticton. <laughs> Excellent. <laughs> and then, uh, yeah, well, oh, I wonder if I could be in Vancouver when you're there. Anyway, I'll see. But yes. um, also exciting. And I just, I'm so happy that we actually got to, you know, quote unquote, meet. Yes. Um, because I just think I love it when people are creative geniuses and also super, super nice. That's such a nice <laughs> combination, <fun>. you know? <laughs> Yeah. And um, it's just, it's so amazing to hear your story. And I'm sure people are going to come away from this just like so inspired. And, and you know, everybody should go into their studio and set, set some constraints right now. Go get that $10,000 loan. <laughs> <laughs> what a weird constraint, right? <laughs> yeah, it's such a good one. Um, and so I'm going to, we'll, we'll end off right there, but um, you don't have to give away too much. But what's what's in your studio right now? Is it like coffee beans or like what's in there? Well, oh boy. Uh, do I have two more minutes? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay. So the one, so again, kind of going back to where we come from and how we, how we, how we are, who we are. Um, I, I ran into this video one time, this, this guy, he did, it was just a little video. The guy took a picture. He had a photo of a dog and he took the photo. It's a black and white photo. And he put it through an old, uh, uh, the spaghetti cutter. So like, you know, to make the oh, noodles yes. uh -huh. and he put it through and he reorganized them. But then he, re he took that dog and broke it into two dogs. And it still kind of worked, but the dogs are kind of squished. Then he taped them together. He turned it sideways and then cut it the other way again through the paper cutter. And so now he had he ended up making four dogs from the one photo. And the four, these four little pictures actually still look like dogs. They were kind of pixelated and weird, but they still look like dogs. And and I was like, wouldn't it be interesting to do that with, with a sculpture, to actually take a sculpture – and then chop it up and divide it up into these bits and pieces and then reconstruct it into these smaller forms and like would it still work and would it still hold its form. So one, I'm doing that. But two, I'm actually going to – I've kind of 3D scanned just with using a laser and redrawing the laser in Photoshop. But uh, I've scanned my parents. So I have my parents scanned 
and they don't know I'm doing this, but I'm going, they, they're like, why are you scanning us? I'm like, oh, just testing an idea. And they, they, they've, they've kind of been with me through many weird testing of ideas that never go anywhere. So they just, oh, okay. And smile along and do their thing. And so anyway, I'm going to take these, these scans and then I'm going to take a, uh, uh, you know, like a two by two. So a piece of wood, a little kind of square and then cut them to different lengths. And my, essentially when you look at the studio floor, you're going to see all these little blocks of wood that are standing up on end that end up creating my, my parents, two faces coming out of the studio floor. So probably thousands of little blocks of wood that create my parents. And then I'm going to start to swap and move over one face into another by these rows, these pixels of wood, essentially. And I'm going to try to blend together my parents' faces in 3D and then, and then go from there and see what else it will do. <laughs> oh, my God. Uh, yes, it's, it's, I feel like sometimes I have the idea and then pretty soon I'm like, wait, how did I end up here? Like, <laughs> That's so awesome. Yeah. I have a little bit of a headache now. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to my, yeah, my girlfriend's like, can you, can you stop? Please stop. <laughs> it's so, so fantastic. Well, um, I am going to be following along on Instagram and stuff like a hawk now just to see what the heck you okay. do next. And, um, yeah, thank you so much for, for being so generous with your time and with your story. And, um, yeah, it's just, it's been so nice to, to meet you. Absolute pleasure. Lovely to meet you as well. Yeah. All right. Well, stay in touch and, um, I'll, I'll be watching. Awesome. Okay. Thanks, Phil. Isn't he amazing? Embrace the shake. That is exactly what I've been talking about lately, especially with the series that I'm doing about my upcoming surgery slash fibroid issues. You can either let the setback stop you, or you can, quote, embrace the shake and literally shake things up. I'm so inspired by Phil and his story, and I hope nobody was offended by my asking about OCD. I, I, like, I really couldn't help but wonder because his focus and attention to detail is something that I wish I had. Anyway... I'm going to go back to the pool for another pina colada, so I will stop talking and simply say thank you. Thank you to Phil for sharing his story and for giving away a chunk of his Bob Ross piece. Pop over to his Instagram, Phil in the Circle, that's Phil, P-H-I-L, Phil in the Circle, to get in on that giveaway. And, as always, thanks to you for listening. I will be home from my family holiday and back with another new episode of Art for Your Ear next weekend. See you then. Mm-hmm.